If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab those. And today we will read in our scripture, John chapter 4. So I say good morning, family. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for your faithfulness. So today we are reading John chapter 4, verses 43 uh, through 54. And today's passage, really, one of the things I really like about it is just kind of real life. Uh, we just see a man that is desperate at the rope's end. He's pleading with the Lord. And really what we see at the heart of this passage are three reasons for unbelief. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and follow along with me. This is in John chapter 4, verses 43, beginning. After the two days in Samaria, Jesus went forth from there into Galilee, for he himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. Verse 46. And therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made water into wine in John chapter 2. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point, so Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, please come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, for your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. And he was now going down. His slaves met him, saying that his son was living. Verse 52, So when he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him so the father knew that it was at that hour in which jesus said to him your son lives and he himself believed in his whole household this is again the second sign that jesus performed when he had come out of judea into galilee amen today i hope that you would take up a microscope and that you would look deep within your own spiritual life. Today I hope that you would look in your spiritual life and that you would seek to carve away the unbelief that you have. Because we all have areas of unbelief. Today I want you to look at your spiritual life and I want you to examine the areas that you struggle to have faith in God. Because to some of us here today, some of us, to some of you, your unbelief is keeping you from heaven. And to some of you, your unbelief is keeping you from growing. Faith or belief can be like a callus. The more you go through, the less you feel. And as the pains and ailments of life build, the less we feel and the further we feel from the Lord. And His love is still the same. We take the disappointment of life that we have and it causes in most of us mistrust of God and His love stays the same. And we let fear build up layers and layers and layers of uh, a wedge in between our relationship with us and God, but His love stays the same. What I see in John chapter 4 is I see real life. I see a scared father who sees his son passing away from an ailment that he cannot control. And it reminds me of life, that life is hard. 
that calluses develop in our relationship with God, that we struggle to have full trust in the Lord, yet His love stays the same. Uh, oftentimes when we, when we have trials and fear, we, uh, the appeal of following the Lord loses its luster, yet His love stays the same. And guys, guys, friends, Jesus hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. Yet our circumstances do change and it causes us to develop doubt in our walk with the Lord. So today I hope that we look at our lives and we examine the unbelief that is keeping us from really walking with the Lord as full as we could. Today we see two different groups of people and we see three reasons for unbelief. We see two uh, two reasons for unbelief in the first group of people, the Galileans. We see why they do not believe in a group of people that grew up with Jesus. And then we see a reason for unbelief in a royal official that is terrified of losing his child. So with this in mind, if you would turn in your Bible again to John chapter 4. And today we look at three reasons for unbelief. And if you think about this issue, the reason for unbelief, it, this issue that we wrestle with today is very fitting when you come to the Gospel of John, because it's very fitting within the purpose of the Gospel. What is the purpose of the Gospel of John? It is John chapter 20, verse 31, which says this, But these things have been written so that you believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. If you think about it to this point, everything in the Gospel of John, every detail, every story that has been compiled is pointing towards this one purpose, that we would believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and that believing in Him we shall have life in His name. And if you think about the, uh, John chapter 4 as a whole... What's kind of the purpose of John chapter 4 as a whole? If you drag in the end of chapter 3, what does it say? That Jesus is above all, therefore He is what in John chapter 4? He is Savior to all, including the religious in John chapter 3, which is Nicodemus, including the rejected, which is the Samaritan woman, and including the royal, which is the royal official in John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. So we see in this passage that Jesus is still Savior to all, but then we examine three reasons for unbelief. And notice the first one with me. Why do the Galileans struggle to believe in Jesus? Notice verse 43 with me. It says, after the two days, what is that referring to? After the two days that Jesus spent in, in Samaria, after the two days he went forth from there into Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Notice that. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves were also at the feast. So what is one reason why they struggle with unbelief in Jesus? Well, reason number one is familiarity. What does it say in verse 44? For Jesus himself testified that no prophet has honor in his own country. But I want you to notice two important characteristics of verse 44. I want you to notice the very first word. 
It is the word F-O-R, which is the Greek conjunction gar, which signals to me in my Greek nerd self, it signals to me that an explanation is coming. So verse 44 explains verse 43. Verse 44 is the reason why he came into Galilee. And what is the reason? It's because in verse 44 it says, For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. The reason Jesus went back into Galilee is to testify about his true nature and to spread the gospel there in amongst his hometown people. But then I want you to also notice number two in verses 43 through 44. These verses are full of irony. What is the irony here in verses 43 through 44? Irony. What do I mean by irony? The irony is defined as this. It is a state of affairs or an event that seems deliberately contrary to what one expects. Okay, so basically we're expecting one thing and we get another thing. So when we come into Galilee, what, are we, what might we expect? That the very people that know Jesus best are the ones that reject him, but the people that know him not are the ones that believe in him. Think about John chapter 4. The Samaritans have no idea that this man named Jesus is special, yet they are ready to receive the gospel and believe in his name. But the very people that have known Jesus his whole life really reject him fully. For what reason? Why do the Galileans reject Jesus? Well, reason number one is familiarity. They probably say, well, that's just Jesus. That's Joseph's son. Or they might say something like this, that not all of his dogs are barking. I would imagine, to most people in that culture, Jesus was probably a bit strange. It probably was. And now to us, in Christian circles, we're so used to hearing about Jesus that we kind of get used to his characteristics and his personality, but I'm... <laughs> I'm sure after 30 years of Jesus walking around in Galilee, they probably think that not all, of, not all of his dogs are barking, as we would say. The reason for their unbelief is familiarity. They know him too well. Friends, I believe that this is a cancer in the church today. That I believe familiarity, being familiar with the gospel, being familiar with Jesus Christ, is a cancer in our church today and is eternally damning people all around the world. We in the church are the Galileans. The most eternally damning reason for unbelief in church, in today's churches is familiar. Being familiar with the gospel. Can I just say it this way? But being familiar with the gospel, being able to answer the question, what is the gospel does not save you? I would imagine on the final exam of eternal life, we would be able to answer the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel that Jesus Christ has died for my sins and that believing in his name I shall have eternal life? Many of us know the answer to that question of what is the gospel, but answering the question of what is the gospel does not save you. Believing in the gospel saves you. I believe that there are people sitting in churches all around America today that can answer the question, what is the gospel? But they have never trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Allow me to ask you the question. Are you familiar with the gospel or do you believe in the gospel? It's a fair question. 
Right? If you've grown up at church all your life, I would imagine you're very familiar with what I'm sharing this morning. You're very familiar with Jesus Christ. You're probably like the Galileans, that you've grown up with Jesus so much that you kind of just accept truth instead of actually saying, do I really believe that truth? Has the gospel transformed my life from the inside out? If the gospel has not transformed your life, if you have never been born again, perhaps you are just familiar and you do not believe. That is a dangerous way to live. A number of years ago, I, uh, was, I approached another preacher in town just to kind of gather some advice. I had just begun here at Calvary Bible Church, which I just celebrated my third year anniversary, believe it or not. It's gone by fast. But I, when I first started here at Calvary, I just kind of was looking for a mentor. So I approached a rather famous preacher here in town, and he began to share his story. He grew up in church. He felt called to ministry, so then he went and got his master's degree, his MDiv. And then he continued on his education with a Ph.D. from New Orleans Baptist Seminary. And as he was sitting... For his comps, at the end of his dissertation, he is at the very end of this PhD in New Testament. I mean, this guy knows Greek inside and out. He has heard the gospel so many times. He's sitting there, uh, sitting for his dissertation. And he's confronted with his professors, and his professors basically say to him, they drew a line before him and said, Jimmy... Is there a time in your life where you have actually surrendered to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is there a time that you can say that you have actually surrendered that? Obviously, you're familiar with the gospel. Obviously, you, you claim to be a Christian, but are you familiar? Or are, do you believe? <laughs> this guy was probably 25, 26 years old, and I'm sitting there thinking he, was, he had seven years of seminary education, and he admitted to me that day that at that moment he believed in Jesus Christ, even after all of the messages that he has preached. He even claimed to be a faithless preacher. What is amazing to me about that story is how could he make it through all the way through seminary and not believe in the gospel, but I think that is a cancer in today's churches, that many of us know the gospel, but many of us have never believed the gospel. The Galileans obviously know that Jesus is special, but they have never believed in his name. What I hope today is that you would take a microscope into your spiritual life and that you would carve away the imperfections of your faith. That you would ask yourself the question here this morning, am I just familiar with the gospel or do I believe in the gospel? That is a very fair question. But I want you to notice the second reason why they do not believe in Jesus. Notice verse 43 through 45 again. After these two days, he went forth from there into Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country because they're familiar with him. Verse 45, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Okay, if you have a pen, circle that phrase. The Galileans received him. What does that mean? We'll talk about it in just a minute. The Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. Now, there is a very difficult question that we must answer. Do the Galileans believe in Jesus? Because here it clearly says that the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. Now, do the Galileans believe in Jesus or not? Now, I must share personally on this regard. I, uh, I read 
countless commentaries. At least it seems that way. It's probably not countless. But anyways, moving on. Okay. But, and what was interesting, scholars were on both sides of the aisle. If the Galileans actually, when it says they received, if they actually believed in Jesus. And even as of this morning, as of an hour ago, I still was wrestling with the thought, did the Galileans believe in Jesus when it said that they received him? But the more and more I study this passage, the more and more I realize that the Galileans did not have authentic faith. They only received Jesus in order to gain from him. Notice what it says again in verse 45. The Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem. It doesn't say they received him because they knew once and for all that he was the Messiah, that he was the Christ, that he was the Savior of the world. It doesn't say that. It says the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in the temple, at the feast. And what are they probably hoping? They're probably hoping that Jesus takes these acts and brings it to them. What are they really wanting? They're not really wanting to surrender to the Messiah of the world. They're wanting Jesus just to perform miracles in amongst them. They receive Jesus as a miracle worker, not as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. One commentator who is on this side of the aisle shares this. The Galileans welcomed to Jesus a superficial welcome based on enthusiasm for miracles. The Galileans only received Jesus to get something from Jesus. Let's say that again. The Galileans only received Jesus to get something from Jesus. What is the second reason for their unbelief? It is a focus on self. The Galileans only received Jesus to get something from Jesus instead of actually authentically believing in him and transforming their life and receiving the living water and to be born again into shape and to follow Christ to the ends of the earth. You know, I, living the Christian life is hard. Can I get a name into that one? <laughs> okay. I got a couple. Let me say that again. Living the Christian life is hard. One more time. Living the Christian life is hard. Thank you. The Christian life is not about selfishness. It's about selflessness. You know, Jesus is an awfully tough Savior to follow if you're in it for health, wealth, and prosperity. Can I get an amen to that one? <laughs> what does the scripture say? Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 and 14 says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. If you only follow Jesus to get something from Jesus, then your spiritual life will be awfully disappointing. If you, if you only follow Jesus to get something from Jesus, if you only follow Jesus to fix your marriage or to fix your kids or to feel better about your life or to find some kind of Jesus points and try to earn your way to heaven, your life is going to be very disappointing. I think Jesus came to restore our marriages, to give us eternal life, to provide for us mercy, to help us heal our children. I believe that Jesus Christ has come to do all these things, to, re- to make all things new. But that cannot be our motivation to follow him. Our motivation to follow Jesus cannot be for what we get, but for what we can give because of what we have been given. Let me say that again. Following Jesus cannot be for what we get but what you can give because of what you were given. 
What is the reason for unbelief? It is a focus on self. My hope today is that you would take a microscope into your spiritual life and you would see the areas of unbelief that you have, that you would ask yourself the question, are you just familiar with Jesus or do you believe in Jesus? Do you follow Jesus in order to just get something from Jesus, which is clearly what is happening in the Galileans here? They only invite him in to try to get something from him, and I would imagine many Christians around the world, Christians, are following suit. But the most difficult part of this story, the most real-life part of the story, is in verses 46 through 54, because you see in these verses the second part of the story. You see a desperate father with an ailing son, and he's desperately wanting someone to help. Notice verse 46. What is the reason for his unbelief? Verse 46, therefore he came again into Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Galilee, into, out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him, notice, imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, <laughs> notice Jesus' rebuke. Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. In verse 49, the royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. What are the reasons for unbelief? Number one is familiarity. Number two is a focus on self wanting to get something from Jesus instead of actually following Jesus. And then reason number three is a frantic plea. That sometimes we mistake a frantic plea we have with authentic faith. When I read the story of the royal official, I empathize with his terror. Perhaps there's nothing scarier than a parent having a sick child. That is a terrifying feeling that I can somewhat relate to. But if you notice here in the word imploring in verse 47, that word imploring here is first off a word that means to interrogate. Okay? So this royal official, and I'll let you know what that is, a royal official is basically Herod Antipas's right-hand man. He is a Jewish politician, so to speak. So he's a royal official, and he comes from Capernaum to Cana. He travels some 20 miles to find this man named Jesus because he's heard a rumor of all the things that he has done in Judea at the feast. He follows, he finds this man, walks 20 miles just to find somebody to help. But he mistakes thinking that a frantic plea is authentic faith. And let's just be, sometimes we mix the two as well. That we think a frantic plea, that we cast up a plea before the throne of God into the throne room of Jesus Christ, and we throw up a frantic plea hoping that Jesus will deliver us, and we think sometimes we confuse that to be authentic faith. And that's a, <laughs> that's a difficult pill for me to swallow, if I'm completely real. It, it, drawing a distinction between a frantic plea and authentic faith. Because here, the royal official does not approach Jesus Christ to find if he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and to have some kind of eternal life. But he approaches this guy named Jesus just to find help for his son. And I can't blame him. But if you notice here, verse 47, the royal official 
implores Jesus. That word implore means to interrogate. It is also an imperfect tense verb, meaning it is continuing action in the past. So this royal official finds Jesus and he bugs him and he bugs him and he bugs him and he bugs him for a miracle to come and see his son. And if you notice, Jesus rebukes the man. And that seems kind of harsh. Here is this desperate father who wants to find somebody to help with his son, and Jesus rebukes him, and he says, So Jesus said, Unless you see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Why does Jesus rebuke this man? Perhaps Jesus is less interested in healing this man's son as he is healing this man's soul. Perhaps Jesus is less interested in healing this man's son as he is healing this man's soul. What does he say? It says Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you think about Jesus' mission here on earth, think about it. When he was here on earth for those three years, there were thousands of people that died physically. You know, and we think to ourselves, how could Jesus be more interested in healing this man's soul and in healing this man's son? How is that at all possible? Because out, because we can't see a love of God that does not do our bidding. We cannot see a love of God that does not do our bidding, that if Jesus Christ does not do what we desire, then that can't be his purpose and that can't be his love. But one of the things I love about this story is that Jesus does not just rebuke the man, because that would be cruel. Okay, He does not just reject this father who is desperate, who has a sick child, and his child is on his deathbed. He does not reject him. He rebukes him for thinking that authentic faith is a frantic plea. But what does he do in verse 50? We see the love of Jesus Christ even in the midst of his rebuke. Verse 50, and Jesus said to this man, go. For your son lives. That word lives there is a present tense communicating to me that at the very hour that Jesus said those words that this man's son was healed. But you see this man, he comes to Jesus Christ desperate, thinking that a frantic plea is the same thing as authentic faith, but Jesus is far less interested in healing his son than healing his soul. But then notice the transformation that happens in this man's life. That not only does Jesus heal his son, displaying his love, but then notice the change that happens in the royal official's life. Notice again verse 50. It says, the man believed. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. What What does it not say of the Galileans? It says that they received him, but it does not say that they believed him. But the difference is here that this royal official who was desperate... Believes, it says, and the man believed in the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. And he now was going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was living. Imagine the relief that is on that man's heart. So the man inquired of them of the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. Verse 53, so the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. 
and he himself believed in his whole household. This, again, was the second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Galilee. Notice here that there is two uses of the word believe. Notice in verse 50, it says, The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. There seems to be that kind of belief that he is now marching down the road to having salvific faith. But I believe in verse 53 that in verse 50, he believes, he trusts in the words of Jesus. But then in verse 53, this man actually believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he might have life in his name. I see that there is a distinction. What does the scripture even say? That faith comes from hearing and hearing the words of Christ. That this man hears the words of Christ, he trusts in him, and then he sees the results of Jesus' miracle, and then he believes in him as the Son of God. I imagine many of you here today feel like this royal official. I do not know what is going on in your life. I would imagine you feel at times desperate. You feel helpless. You feel lost. Sometimes you feel so aimless, so helpless, that you can't help but come before the throne of God with a frantic plea. And let me just say this personally speaking. You should. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying come before the throne of God with your frantic pleas, with your requests, with your desperation. Come before Him. But know, have faith that Jesus is unchanging, that His love has never stopped, that His love endures forever. That as you throw up your pleas to the very throne of God, as you do that, know that God is still love and that He is still all-powerful and that He still cares for you. Faith is certainty in uncertain times. I'm saying faith is certainty in uncertain times. Faith is not placing certainty in circumstances or in yourself, but faith is placing certainty in the character and the promises of God. What does it say in Romans chapter 8, verse 28? All things work together for the good to those who love God, to those called according to His purpose. That when you have difficulties in life, when you are desperate, when you're helpless, when you're powerless... What I would encourage you to do is not find solace in your circumstances, but that you would come before the throne of God with your plea, trusting Him and having faith that He is sovereign and that He is loving over your life. My question is this Will you give your burden to the Lord? One day, I, I say to young people, and I'm on that spectrum probably. Uh, but I like to tell people that if you live long enough, you will experience tragedy. You will experience difficulty. And will you be like this royal official who comes before God, but when the Lord speaks, you trust in Him, and then you believe in Jesus Christ? My point today is this as a whole. I saved it to the end if you're confused on your notes. My point is this too essentially look at your life with a microscope and see the areas of unbelief and shave away the imperfections of unbelief. And I hope that you would see your life and that you would carve out the unbelief that you have due to familiarity, that Jesus is not uh, good news, he's old news. And I think, imagine, a lot of Christians feel that way. And we at times all feel that way. But that you would shave away the unbelief that you have for familiarity and that you would shave away the unbelief that you have because you focus on yourself. Many of us are happy to receive Jesus Christ to get a miracle. We're happy to receive Jesus Christ when everything's going well. 
And then I hope that you shave away the unbelief that you have with frantic pleas. That you not mistake a frantic plea before the throne of God for authentic faith, but that you would be like the royal official who hears the words of Christ and it transforms his life and those of his family. Faith is certainty in uncertain times. Faith is trusting him certainly in the midst of uncertain times. You know, um, as I've mentioned before, life is difficult. The Christian life is not easy. That if you follow Jesus Christ for health, wealth, and prosperity, if you follow Jesus to get what, just to get something out of Him, you're going to be sorely disappointed <laughs> for your own selfish reasons. But in the end, you will never be disappointed with our Savior. We all have struggles and difficulties. We all have imperfections. We all have thorns in the flesh. We all have things that we struggle with. And so today, my invitation in the application portion is not meant to condemn, but it's meant to kind of come alongside and to encourage each one of us just to have a solid look inside our own little world. My first question is, where is the unbelief in your life? Is Jesus just too familiar? Perhaps... You've been in church a long time. Perhaps you've heard this story so many times. Perhaps you've heard, read the Gospel of John so much that Jesus is just too familiar that you just kind of put him up on the shelf and you only pull him down when you really want him. But I would just say this, that Jesus has not changed, that his love has not changed, that his love endures forever, that his salvation is unquenchable, that he is sovereign, that he is loving, that he is merciful. And I would pray that if you are just too familiar with Jesus Christ, that you would examine that and that you would shave away that imperfection and that you would see him as he truly is. That following the Lord is a difficult path, but it is the best path you could ever choose. My second question is this, unbelief number two, is where is the unbelief in your life? Is it focused on self? Sometimes in life we mix the two. We put self on the throne where only Jesus is meant to fill. Friends, if you want to live a life that is glorifying to the Lord, if you want to live a life that follows him to the ends of the earth, then self cannot be on the throne. We cannot just receive Jesus to get what we want from him. But we must take self off of the throne, and we must put Jesus Christ on it. And we must follow him to the ends of the earth. Unbelief number three is this. Where is the unbelief in your life? Is it a frantic plea? I would imagine every single one of us can think about a time in our lives where we had a frantic plea, where we felt just like the royal official and having his son passing away and feeling completely and totally helpless. Listen, my encouragement to you is not that you stop throwing up your frantic pleas to the throne of grace and love. I hope that you would continue to do that, but as you've Give your requests made known to God. As you do that, then you would also have the faith to have certainty in the midst of uncertain times, that you would place your faith in the character and majesty and sovereignty of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that you would not place your faith and trust in circumstances or in your own brain or in your own uh, stick-to-itness or pull yourself up by the bootstraps, but as you throw, uh, throw 
to the throne of grace as you lift up your frantic pleas before our Lord and Savior that at the same time that you would have faith of certainty that you would trust in Jesus Christ that you would trust in his love and his majesty and his mercy and his sovereignty and his grace I pray that you would trust him enough to give before him your frantic pleas but then you would also trust him enough to know that he is still loving that he is still gracious and that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those called according to his purpose. What is your reason for unbelief? What is that thing that you have in your spiritual life that you are calloused towards the Lord? Those calluses are often built up because of pain and trials in life. And my hope is that you would just examine the areas that you struggle to believe in Jesus Christ and that you would pray through it and that you would seek the Lord to heal those wounds. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he offers you the gift of salvation. What does it say in the Gospel of John? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is this, the good news is this, that God loved, so God sent, that God loved the world. He saw our mistakes. He saw that we lie, cheat, and steal. He saw that we uh, walk away from him. He saw that we covet our neighbor. He saw all of our mistakes and he decided to... St- in lieu of our imperfections to send his perfect son to die on the cross to save us from our sins, that if we would believe in Jesus Christ, that he would pass over our sins previously, currently, and forever committed. And so the choice is ours. Will we be like the Galileans, who only want Jesus for what we can get for Jesus, or will we be like the rural official, who we have our mistakes, we have our imperfections, but that we would hear the words of Christ here this morning and that we would believe in him and transform our life and follow him to the ends of the earth. Which do you choose? The Galileans or to be like the world official? Bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for my friends. I thank you for all those who are here. Thank you for all those that cannot be here this morning. Pray for protection on those that are watching via the internet. Uh, Lord, I... Lord, your love and your your grace and your mercy is unchanging. And I pray that we would remember that in the midst of difficult days. Lord, I I thank you for the story of how you confront this man for his unbelief, but then you display your love to him in amazing ways right after your rebuke. Lord, I just pray for this morning that we would be followers of Christ fully, that we would not follow you just to what we get from you, but Lord, that we follow you to whatever end you would have us to go. Lord, I thank you for my friends in this room. I thank you for their faithfulness. I thank you for their love for you and your, their love for your word. I uh, thank you for the privilege it is to be pastor here for three years and counting. And Lord, I pray for many more years uh, here. Lord, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for Calvary and our uniqueness. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.